Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. I'm Harvey Asher. I'm a sexaholic. I've been sexually sober for 29 years and one week today. Hi. I never know what I'm going to say, but I know this. When I was asked to speak for the weekend, I said, oh, anything you want me to speak about, I'll speak about. But there's one thing that I won't do, and that is not tell my story the first night. I must tell my story the first night. Because if I don't tell my story, I could end up coming here thinking I'm giving you a lecture, I'm preaching, I'm telling you how to do it, rather than giving you the only thing I have is my experience, strength, and hope. That's all I got. I'll give you a lot of, hopefully, icing on the cake. But the cake is that if it works for me, it will work for a dog. That's what my sponsor said would tell me over and over again, Harvey, if it worked for you, it could work for anybody. Because I have such a low-life story, um, not too long ago, I start shifting how I tell my story. I came into this program (laughs) pre-internet. Believe it or not. There was no internet to get hooked on. Uh, there, you know, there wasn't a lot of stuff we got today. And my disease just kind of did it all. And I'll go into it. By the way, these are some, um, I mentioned it last night at a meeting, some kind of rules that I have to tell you about. My rules <laughs> that I follow. I don't care how delicate your little ears are. I share explicitly. I never fool myself to think that something I say will cause you to act out. 
You're going to act out if you act out. You're not going to act out for my telling you my truth. And if you do, you ain't got much of a program that day anyway. So I let all that go. So I will be quite explicit in my sharings and in just talking for the whole weekend. Because there's hardly anything you all have not done or thought about or watched being done that I have to pretend this pretense this denial, this delusion that we got such fragile people in this fellowship. No, we're a bunch of liars and thieves, <laughs> cheats, if that's what I am. Maybe you're not. Maybe your feces is saran wrapped. Yeah. Mine aren't. <laughs> Let me tell you that none of us here are in this room by mistake, and none of us have come from ten different countries at least to be here. To hear some guy you've already probably heard on a CD anyway. <laughs> so you're coming here. And by the way, people always picture me a lot of times being six foot two or something like that. Harvey, that you? Yeah, this is me. You, you got what you see here. You know? And old man, I came in this program with hair. <laughs> and it wasn't gray. Almost three decades of my life have been in this program. And what is one of the most significant goals I have this weekend? Because you're not going to remember a lot of stuff, I say. What is it? It's going to be the laughter. Not to have this a funeral procession. You know, you go into some essay meetings, my God. You think you're at a funeral. We're some of the coolest, nicest people around. So we're manipulators, we're sociopaths, I mean, other than that. But we're really nice people. Even when we're not trying to seduce other people. We're okay people. And a lot of us are very spiritual people. Many people come to this program from a lot of fundamentalist backgrounds. We, we have that spiritual, that, that thing in us. Yeah. We feel God so much. But we're also people with this kind of dreaded disease that pulls us away from the things that are so important to us, to our values, to our morals. But this disease does so much to, to us. So, on that note, I want to tell you what a low life I am. Okay? But I'm going to tell you, not only as a low life, but about how I got into the program, and about what it's been like in the program, in sobriety. By the way, I have not relapsed in 29 years in one week. And my sp sponsor would always say, Relapse is not a prerequisite for recovery. 
And I want you to know there are many people in this room who have just a few days sobriety or have probably relapsed many times. I want to be sure at some point over this weekend we get an hour together. For those who are chronic relapsers, ask Luke if there is an hour I could do. And I just want to work with you guys and gals. And by the way, for the women in the audience, I'm so used to saying guys, so when I say guys, include yourselves in that term. That I'd like to get together and do some relapse prevention. Because relapse produces relapse. And relapse is contaminating. And I don't know how much you have had Mike C. come to this area, but Mike talks a lot about the culture of sobriety. Now, I'm not easy, as you'll get to see. I'm not easy because I am such a low life that I wish you guys and gals well. But I don't have another relapsing. And by the way, many people who keep relapsing and keep coming back, many of those might not be sexual addicts. They might be sexual abusers, just like they're alcoholic, real alcoholics and alcoholics. There's many people who are true sex addicts don't necessarily get back into these rooms. My first sponsor was one of them, who ended up in jail for life. So I'm not here to pat people on the head, but I'm not here to have a shame issue. I'm here to talk about what I truly believe, that I have a disease, I have a damaged brain. I have a physical allergy accompanied by a mental obsession and that I was born this way. Didn't matter that I was sexually abused or you name it. I was born this way. I know it. I know it runs in families. I have a, she's now 17, but by the time she was 16, I have a granddaughter in a treatment center for sexual addiction. It totally skipped my sons, and it showed up in my granddaughter. I have nine grandchildren. So no one's going to convince me that I'm bad getting good. I'm sick getting well. I am a sick man. I saw someone eating a banana. I see a banana. I immediately think of genitalia. That's how I'm made. I have a filter that everything that comes into my mind gets filtered sexually. But thank God over the years... I have developed now a filter under that filter. So it goes immediately into sex, and then it flows into the recovery filter, 
and it comes out cool stuff. <laughs> Every now and then, my wife and I will be walking down the street, and I'll see a guy and a gal holding hands, and I'll say, Nancy, isn't God amazing how everybody has sex? She what are you talking about? This guy and gal holding hands walking down the street. Is that all you think about? And I say, absolutely. <laughs> That's how I'm made. It's what do I do with it? This business I hear day and night. Oh, the trigger, the trigger, the trigger. Oh, I can't go to that trigger, this trigger. It's going to get me. A trigger is not lust. Lust is what I do with a trigger. There is no way to live without triggers. Did I say I wanted this light? My God. Hey, by the way, I speak... American. Over the years, yes, I deal with so many people from so many f different countries that I am aware of how much my language is not understandable. Yes, it's idioms. The other rule we're going to have is you do not assume you understand you think you understand the word I'm saying. If you're not sure, you raise your hand. And I will say it until we did that last night. Until you get the word. Because the word I'm using is so automatically nuanced to me. But it's not nuanced to you. You know, I've been studying German lately, Biss. I'm going to Munich after, the, uh, after Amsterdam. And it's helping me even more see how many words are not the regular words. They're the words you use in another way that are, have nothing to do with the word. And it's been just wonderful for me to... To do things like say to people now, what do you think that word means? To see, what I'm doing is I'm reading your facial expressions. I've been places where they translate what I say, and I know the person hasn't translated it correctly. This I see your reaction. Okay? So that's the other deal we're making. But now to the story. I'm going to tell you this story a little differently. Uh, some of you might have heard this this way, but I'm going to tell you why I needed the program if I had never done anything else but masturbate. I'm going to also tell you I needed this program if I did nothing else be sexually abusive to my wife or to live in fantasies. And then I'm going to tell you my story about my disease related to promiscuity.
because many of you have not acted out with other people yet. And this brain of ours, this addiction of ours, is amazing if we'll say, Oh, I haven't done that yet. So I don't need this program. I haven't done that. Did he really do that? Oh, man, that guy's a pervert. (laughs) So I try to fool your disease. And I try to show my disease how cool it would have been if there were a program like this just for my masturbation or just for my being so sexually abusive to my wife or to my promiscuity. Um, I don't know how it was, but I was probably 10, 9. I remember seeing my Sunday school teacher and his wife naked in my head. I didn't even know what sex was. But I just remember seeing them naked in my head. You know, that's just what happened. Sex, by the time I was five years old, as I remember, um, five and a half, maybe it was six, I remember because... Uh, it was the year Franklin Delano Roosevelt died. And it might have been, or the next year when the Second World War was over. And I remember I was in a hotel resort area, and I and this little girl, she was five or six, were playing doctor and nurse together. To this day, if I smell ferns, we used to do it in the bushes. To this day, the smell of ferns brings up the total vivid memory. It's been burnt into my head, through my eyes, and through my nose. Totally imprinted in. My mother, may she rest in peace, had a lot of issues. But when I was in the sixth grade, she had an argument with a neighbor. And she decided to just switch us off to New Jersey from New York. Now, I was brought up in an area, uh, I wouldn't say it was like Antwerp's Jewish section, but it was very similar with that very religious people. There were no one else but Jews in that whole area. And she took me to this city, not knowing, and moved us where I was basically the only Jew in this school. And it was mostly Slavics and Italians. And in the 50s, you know, the Slavics were not that crazy about Jews. 
I hope Romania isn't one of those Slavic countries. How do they call Romania? Is that Slavic? Yes. Okay, well, whatever. And I started getting beaten up. And these Italian tough kids said, we'll protect you. I was 11 and a half. And the way they protected me was I had to have sex with them. So at 11 and a half, looking back at it, I had a phenomenal imprint. When you're in danger, sex will save you. I also had another imprint. If you have someone who cares about you, it is your friend. They have sex with you. Kind of very simple, basic stuff. I couldn't hear that. Last sentence. Very basic. <laughs> Let me back off. I learned that if... Which language do you speak? Dutch, but if you just repeat... All okay. If I learned that if you have a friend, meaning someone who likes you and takes care of you, they you have to have sex with okay. them. So from an early age, I learned to have sex with guys and gals if I were friends with them. That's what friends did. Automatic. Oh, we have another person by Slavic country, too. But <laughs> let me tell you about people from Poland today. I was in tears, crying at work, weeping. And I got on my knees to talk to God. Because at work, I got a call. I know it's anonymous, but the heck with it. I got a call from Christoph who's originally from Poland. He's really in Belgium now. but And he said, Harvey, I'm going to fly on Easter weekend, which was such an important time for him and his beliefs. And I'm going to come to Poland and drive you and Nancy from Warsaw to Krakow, where I'm giving workshops, so you could visit your grandfather Discover where your grandfather lived. Love like that I have never received. This is what we get in the program. This is what God does in recovery. He makes the full circle and lets me get reborn in the same avenue of someone from Slavic descent having that experience to now having this experience. This is what a loving God does for me in recovery. Something cannot be even conceptualized. So here I am, Eleven and a half, twelve, having an active sex life. 
I've had an active sex like life since I've been 11 and 3 quarters, 12 years old. Masturbation came somewhere in that time. And I watched, and this is the piece, innocent, normal masturbation. By the way, we are not prohibitionists in this fellowship. We are not prohibitionists. We're not here to say masturbation is evil. Just like AA does not say alcohol is evil. I'm allergic to masturbation. Many people take it or leave it. Most people, especially men, outgrow it. But not I. I'm allergic to masturbation. I never outgrew it. I said when I was 16, I would stop. I said when I was married, I would stop. And when I was married, I did stop for a while. Started sexually abusing my wife. But she had a job and I didn't. And to get around it is I would masturbate through a fantasy to orgasm. Without ever touching myself. So when you all start telling me about technical sobriety, it's a joke. When you're sitting in front of a computer, watching pornography, being aroused, if that's not sex with self, what the hell do you call it? No one else is in the room. now if you said it's sex with someone else I'd really worry about you but to tell me it's not sex and these people who say oh I touch myself but not to orgasm I'm sober today they're as insane as I am (laughs) And sometime this week, especially tomorrow, we're going to talk about this concept and talk about what really is the program. And it's not masturbation. Masturbation is an end result of the slip. It is not the slip. This is the slip. And we'll get into more details about it. What's between the ears is the <coughs> So here I was saying, no, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Intercourse didn't stop it. Nothing stopped. And it kept being secret. Kept progressing where I needed to insert things into myself when I masturbated. I needed to use chemicals while masturbating. I needed to do all kinds of things to myself while masturbating. Because I have a disease and it's progressive. Over any length of time, it only gets worse. 
That's what an addiction is. You need a stronger dose to get you the same effect. Am I talking too quickly for this group? Okay. If so, please raise your hand for me to slow down. You know, Roy wrote a beautiful section on the addiction of sexual addiction. On the actual addiction part. The tolerance, the withdrawal. People who tend to be chronic relapsers have tremendous problems without them knowing it with with. They're going through withdrawal. The brain is actually giving a signal. The part of the brain called the hypothalamus, the limbic system, it's giving a signal. This, it's in our survivor brain that we're dying. It's giving a signal over and over. Just like if you were in an ocean, in a shipwreck, and there was no water and you're thirsty and getting thirstier, that part of the brain will have you drink salt water, even though you know it could kill you. So when that I'm going to die feeling that we don't even know is happening inside of us, it's hitting us, only thing we could do is do it, Unless we're aware that this is part of the withdrawal program. Just like if it were heroin or cocaine or alcohol. So my progression kept getting worse. By the way, even with my promiscuity, it never stopped the masturbation. Masturbation is my, my drug of choice. When I finally got honest with myself enough, my wife and other people were just tools of my masturbatory cycle because they were not even there. I was in my head just like I would be if I were alone. So I needed this program just for that. Just for that. It ended up, I, by the time I came into the program, I pretty well needed an orgasm every two, three hours. I could tell you this now, looking back at seeing what it was about. At that time, I never put all this together. Meaning, it's like cigarette smoking. You have about, that's why movies are not made more than a couple hours. Because you start going into intense withdrawal from nicotine after two hours. Intense. And so my disease advanced till the time I was, I came in the program at age 44. I'm 73 now. But I came in at that age, and that's where my disease was. Okay. People look pretty uncomfortable from 
what I'm saying here today, you know? <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It's my truth. Then I had my fantasy world. It started with young, with gals, you know, my age. Then it went to African American women. See, even my my fantasies progressed. And then it went into orgies. And then men showed up in the orgies, and I started having fantasies about men. And then combinations. Even my fantasies kept progressing. I needed a larger dose. I can remember at one point I started fantasizing about having sex with my older brother. My, my disease just keeps moving. Moving, progressing, always needing more. Who knows a clean joke or something? Come on, let's get a little. Who knows a, a joke? Hey, you want to tell us a joke? <laughs> you told us before. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I give you permission. No, um, let's say uh, a religious nun and a priest are playing tennis. So on the play, and the priest he, uh, he plays the ball out, and he says, "Damn it! I just missed it." And the nun says, "Father, uh, priest, if you say that word, damn it again, God will surely punish you." And the second time it happens, and he says, Damn it, I just missed. And she says, Father, if you say that once more, God will surely uh, punish you. And the third time he does. And all of a sudden, out of the heaven, a lightning flash. And that sister is dead. (laughs) (laughs) And from heaven there is a voice that says, Damn it, I just missed. Thank you, thank you. I owe you one. Thank you. I can't tell you my jokes, this. I'm a bad joke taker, but my wife says these jokes, but I can't repeat them here. She makes them up spontaneous. Uh, when I was about, um, well, we'll start when I felt that as a man, I had to have sex with my wife all the time. I was, um, forgot to mention that when I was 15, you talk about family illness, I had an uncle who felt that you cannot be a man if you don't have intercourse. So at 15, he would send us to a prostitute. And he sent my cousin, who was six weeks younger than I was, and me to this prostitute in New York. And when 
I went to do it, it didn't work well. It happened real quick. It just didn't work, however I want to say. And he did fine. I was in the bathroom while he was doing it. I mean, this is a great dysfunctional family unit here we have. From then on, I spent the rest of my high school years getting every gal I could get to prove I was okay. And it must have gone into my marriage. Plus, I didn't know I was a sex addict. And in my wife's story, I'm sure she's telling the gals, she took me to... She had to go to the doctor because she was getting so ill. She was getting what's called honeymoon cystitis from having so much intercourse with me. And the doctor said to her, this was in 1961, watch your husband a sex maniac. (laughs) Little did he know how accurate he was. (laughs) And I sexually abused my wife for decades. Her wishes she learned to push down so that I wouldn't get so angry and irritable at her. Is there a way to open a window or something? It's getting very hot in here. So here we were and I was abusing her. We had four children in five and a half years. And I'd insist we keep our door locked all the time. And we'd wake up in the middle uh, the next morning after a lightning storm and the kids would be laying on the floor in front of the door. Because they couldn't get in. I was, I needed this program just for my sexual abusive <laughs> pattern with my wife. And since my wife's involved, I'm not going to talk a whole lot about how it progressed towards her. She could share her, that part of her story. And then when I was about 33 years old, I'm a professional person in my community, and I came from a very poor family, and we struggled tremendously, Nancy and I. And I started making a little money and had a half a day off and realized I had no friends, no interests. And I started exercising. And I began drinking again at that time. And both my alcoholism took off and my sexual addiction because in exercising, I went to the local YMCA and I discovered gay sex and I took off like a duck out of water. And that progressed. I probably had three to five hundred sex partners. But I could not be faithful to the guys I was being unfaithful with. Plus, I needed the women. And then I needed the combinations of the men and the women. And then I needed adult brothers. I mean, my disease kept progressing until last night I shared. 
that I needed to try to seduce policemen for sex. All progression, always getting worse. Looking back at it. I needed this program for any of that. I would keep having sex with people, men and women, but especially the men, and then come home and have unprotected sex with my wife. The only reason Nancy and I are here today was that was in 1984 before the HIV pool ever got into Nashville. It was just first starting to come out. There's no way I would have survived a year later. One day, because of my addiction, I had this um, guy I was having sex with, and he needed to uh, have a job. So one day while I was drinking, I decided to, I saw an empty restaurant decided I'd open that restaurant up so he could have a job. Now, he was didn't, never wanted to work, so he never did that. And I had this little Italian restaurant, and around the corner from this Italian restaurant was an AA clubhouse. And these drunk guys would come in giving me trouble, especially ones I've had sex with. And I would walk them to the AA clubhouse because they needed help. And within a few months, I got into AA. And I found what I had always been looking for all my life, but never knew it. I found the 12-step program. And I said... I'm not going to have any sex with anyone in AA. And then this young guy, and young guys were, are particular triggers for me, and he just kept pushing, and I ended up with sex with him. And then a few weeks later, I was in a motel with some guy, and he was smoking dope, and I knew I was going to smoke a joint. I knew it. And I loved AA. But I knew if I'd speak to people in the program, I was seven months sober, I'd tell them how I'd be jogging downtown to the pornography places. But they saw it as a character defect. But it's not a character defect for me. It's a primary addiction. I had two addictions. And I was in pain. I knew I was going to lose the thing I loved so much that there was no way I could get through my sixth and seventh step. I was not entirely ready to let it go. Looking back at it, I could not let it go. And this was in 1984, in um, July or May, no, June or early July and this guy came in and said I'm starting SA in Nashville is there anyone interested 
and I went up to him after the meeting. His name was Roy, not the main Roy, but our Roy in Nashville. And I went up to him, and I said, tell me about it. And he told me, and I said, that's crazy. That's, this guy's some kind of weirdo. And I continued and continued for the next six weeks. And I went to an AA meeting, and I jogged from that meeting. I was a big jogger, sober now, to a pornography store. And I made it with this crusty, dirty, young man. And he did something that totally repulsed me. I wasn't into being kissed on the lips by men. It just wasn't one of my things. And he kissed me on the lips. And I walked out of that pornography store and I said, I am hopeless. I cannot fight this one more minute. And at that second, I made a decision to leave my wife, to leave my children, to leave my profession, and to leave my religion. That I'd have nothing to do with any of this. That I could not fight this one more second. I just had to give, make it my life. And I got a peace like I can't tell you. Something was just removed from me. It was all clear. Right? They're gone. This is my life, for better or for worse. And I jogged back a few miles to the clubhouse where my car was parked. And I ran smack into this man. And out of my mouth said, I'm ready. I'm ready. To this day, I don't understand it. Out of my mouth, I'm ready. And he said, okay, we had no book then. No essay book was written then. And he hands me a brochure. And it says, no sex with self. And I said, come on. I'm a physician. There's nothing wrong with sex with self. Come on. And all of a sudden, this is the same afternoon, a light went on. And I realized everything. It wasn't the men. It wasn't the female prostitutes, the male prostitutes, the gay relationships. It was masturbation. It was as clear as day to me. And I said, I could do, <clears throat> I could do this for 24 hours. Best, I did it in AA for 24 hours of alcohol. I could do it for 24 hours. And to this day, my contract with God every morning 
is God today keep me sexually sober and I will stay sexually sober today but I'm not promising you tomorrow (laughs) I still do that and one day I woke up and I had 29 years of sobriety by doing one day at a time This program's so simple, people can't get it. It's just too simple. They want this sophisticated, this pie in the sky. Tell me how you do it, Harvey. Tell me how you do it. I tell them they don't believe me. The rest of the weekend, hopefully, I'm going to tell you what it's like now. And hopefully, or what it became, what is the story, what are the basics. We're going to talk about the basics. Back to the basics. We're going to talk about how I stay sober one day at a time. We're going to talk a lot about Jess, who is my sponsor for 15 16 years, so he fired me. We went into business together. It was, don't do it with your sponsor, please. No. <laughs> We're going to do back to basics. We're going to talk about sex and marriage. By the way, you're not supposed to talk about sex and marriage in this program because Everyone's abstinent. Nobody's having intercourse. Did you know that? One of the most popular acts in the fellowship and no one's allowed to talk about it. Except me. I get calls from all over. This, I wrote this article some last year or two. Man, you know, I'll say to people, stop calling me. Just talk about it at a meeting. It's amazing what will come out. I'm one of those iconoclastic people. I talk about things that no one will talk about. Ten years ago, I wrote an article that to this day, people ask me to talk about. I think I'm talking about it tomorrow. I wrote this article in the essay. What is sex with self? It was a taboo question, a subject. The other subject is, hey, what about sex and marriage? And by the way, for many of you in here, This program is not necessarily about being monastic. It's fine for people who want to be monastic. But it's not necessarily a requirement because our founder was not monastic. Our founder kept saying over and over again, and my repeated periods of abstinence. And I had another period of abstinence. How can you have another period if you're not having intercourse with your wife? And how does one realize that they're not allergic to sex 
They're allergic to lust. And you could stay totally drunk on in a marriage just having intercourse with your wife. Just like you could stay drunk with all the other playing with technicalities. Because this program's based on this unbelievable con- concepts. It's about God. God is love and God is truth. And to thine own self be true. Whenever you're fooling yourself with, in quotes, technical sobriety, you're merely fooling yourself. This eventually you will relapse. It's just a matter of time. It will eventually break through. So, there's so much with my history, things will come up. I don't prepare for these things, because if I do, then I'm here lecturing you, and I'm not here, as I had to do this morning, get in the chapel and get on my knees and say, God, this is yours, you brought me here, you, I'm your vessel, you talk for me. People will tell me what I, you know, what I said, and I said, you'll need to tell me what I said, Miss. I don't know what I say a lot of times. <laughs> and then I'd say to my sponsees, when they say, oh, it's what you said, I said, please tell me what I said, Miss. I probably need to hear it today. <laughs> I want to end by saying, are there some, uh, I usually want to end with a dramatic ending and how much God loves us. And I, we're not doing that tonight. This is an entire weekend. And at the end of the weekend, Nancy and I will be working with you all on the 11th step, 10th, 11th, and on forgiveness. What happens with positive sobriety? What Roy talks about, positive sobriety. And if I hope I remember to tell you about the guy who founded it in Nashville, and who left, and uh, what happened when he was put into jail for life. And uh, There's a whole lot I'd like to share with you, but we'll see what God wants me to share, not what Harvey wants me to share. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve. like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. 
Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.